This morning's scripture, 1 Corinthians, the third chapter, verses 10 through 17. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I have laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. The word of God, let us pray. Most holy God, Lord, we come before you, Father, with a difficult passage. Lord, a passage that is beyond our full comprehension. But Father, we pray that your Spirit would help us to understand the meaning behind it and how we are to apply it to our lives each and every day. And Father, I pray the words I speak be not of me, but be of your Spirit and be glorifying unto you. For it is in God's precious name we pray. Amen. So I start off with a quote from 2 Peter 3.15-16. through 16. Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks of them in these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand. That's just kind of the point I wanted to make before we go into this morning's passage. Paul can be incredibly difficult to understand. We have Peter who had no doubt way more insight than I ever dreamed of having fussing and dealing and wrestling with the, whatever Paul's writings were. Paul's hard, and this morning's passage is hard as well. I wrestled with it pretty well all week at different moments, and uh, as of last night, I felt like at times that I wasn't any closer than I was when I started on it, but nonetheless, we are where we are, and we will dig into it and see where we get. But we are back to basically addressing that same situation that Paul's been dealing with throughout all of Corinthians, and it was division in the church, and how that there were some that were following certain leaders, and as a result of that, the church was being divided. Some were following Paul, others were following Apollos, and those that were following Paul would talk bad about those that followed Apollos, and those that followed Apollos would talk bad about those that followed Paul. So you can see how there was a great deal of division in the church. As a matter of fact, Paul picked up this theme back in chapter 1, verse 10. And he follows this continuous theme of division based on those leaders all the way through chapter 4. So it was definitely something that he thought was important to spend a great deal of time on and to try to deal with him. He was attempting to demonstrate to the Corinthians that they were foolish for choosing sides, that it was silly. The reason for their division really made no sense in the overall scheme of things. And he told them that part of their division was that, was that the, 
they weren't mature enough to understand what they should be understanding. They were still infants in their Christian walk. Now, as they looked at these roles of Paul and Apollos, it should have been clear to them that they weren't dealing with apples to apples. They were comparing apples to oranges. And they just didn't understand it. And last week we looked at the first analogy that Paul made, and it was an analogy of a farmer, if you remember that. And he was talking about how he planted and Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So he was a planter and Apollos was a waterer. Both were needed, right? Both were necessary in the process. But ultimately, they had very little to nothing to do with it, as Paul said. God had absolutely everything to do with it. It was because he caused the growth. But they were different. They were different, and yet they were being compared as if they were the same or performed the same function, which was unfair. A planter deals with many different things. Soil conditions, temperature of the soil, Is the soil fertile or not? Is it rocky? Is it the type of soil that's going to grow whatever it is that's being planted? A waterer, on the other hand, takes other things into consideration. What time of day do you water? Do you water in midday where the sun's beating down and it could scorch the plant, or do you water in the evening when it's a little bit cooler and you don't run the risk? How much do you water? You have to be careful not to underwater and not to overwater because both damages the plant. So you see they performed very different functions, but they were both needed. They were both needed in order for the church at Corinth to grow, but they couldn't see that. They couldn't understand that. They were comparing Paul and Apollos, and basically Paul's folks were looking over at Apollos and say. He doesn't even know how to plant. I mean, who is he? He doesn't know how to plant. And we have the, the Apollos group looking at Paul and saying, he's just a silly planter. He can't water anything. He doesn't know how to water the plants that he's planting. But it was unfair. It was a criticism that was not warranted and, and shouldn't have happened. They failed to recognize the absolute necessity and need for both Paul and Apollos, and their respective jobs. Moreover, they become so mesmerized and unable to recognize that it didn't really matter who was planting and who was watering, but all that mattered was that God was growing, that God growed the people, the believers, and that's where the glory should have been given instead of to their respective leader. Paul didn't want to continue on down this path or want the church to continue down this divisive path. He wanted them to understand how churches are to grow and what true leadership is supposed to look like and what following true leadership is supposed to look like. And so that's, that's where we pick up today's passage. Paul says, According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. So Paul had ended verse 9 by telling the Corinthians that they were a building. Remember he said, Apollos and I are one, 
you are one, we are one with God, you are one building. And then he gives this analogy of farming, the planting and the watering, and now he takes us to a different type of analogy. And he, he's expanding this thought or idea of building a structure, of building some sort of structure, and he breaks it down into two groups of people. He breaks it down into those who build foundations and those who build on those foundations. And he makes it pretty clear who he is out of that group. He says that he laid the foundation, and he laid the foundation like a skilled master builder. Kind of reminds me, and I think it was Matthew, whenever they, the, the disciples were running to Jesus' grave that morning, and no, it's John, it's John, the Gospel of John, when the disciples were running to Jesus' grave that morning, and John's basically doing the telling of the story, and he said, the apostle whom Jesus loved, which was himself, got there first. He wanted to make sure everybody knew that he outran Peter. And so here we get Paul referring to himself as a skilled master builder, but he does give God credit. By the grace of God given to me, I laid a foundation as a skilled master builder. He was very good at laying foundations. He laid the foundation and someone else would build upon it. And that's basically what Paul did over and over and over again. I believe it's simply another way of him saying, I planted the seeds and Apollos watered. I laid the foundation and Apollos built on that foundation as well, we'll see, as other people who are at the church at the time Paul writes or leading the church at the time Paul wrote to them. He wants them to see that there are different skills involved in laying a foundation and building upon that foundation. I think Terry could attest to that. Laying a foundation is different than building walls and a structure on top of that foundation. And that's exactly what Paul wanted them to understand. Planting is different than watering. Laying a foundation is different than building walls and a structure on top of the foundation. And they were supposed to be able to understand that. He also wanted to give them a general warning, give the church a general warning with respect to their own ministries. That they are to look at their own ministries and not be overly critical over someone and how they're dealing with that ministry because you've got people that do different jobs, right? We all have different jobs in our ministries. And just as Paul's job was to lay the foundation, Apollos was to build on it, maybe yours is to build on it, whatever the case may be. But nonetheless, builders must be careful of how, the, of how they are building on the foundation. And we're going to circle back to that in just a little bit. Verse 11. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now Terry will attest to us how important, how critically important a foundation is to a structure. Without the proper foundation, it's not going to last long. If you lay a foundation and it's out of some sort of material that's going to rot, decay, or whatever, ultimately that structure that's built upon that foundation will end up coming down. It will not and cannot last. So the foundation is incredibly important, and Paul knew that, and that's why, excuse me, he makes this analogy in the way that he does. He says that no one can lay a foundation other than the one that is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now, he's not saying that you cannot try to lay a different foundation. 
You can try or attempt to lay a different foundation. But if you try or attempt to lay a different foundation other than Christ, the structure is going to fall. The structure is going to start leaning. It's going to start decaying. It will crumble over time. It will not work. Kind of takes us back to on Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. You build that structure on sinking sand and it will fall. It won't last long. And so that was the importance of Christ being the foundation, that he undergirds the building on top of the foundation. Unfortunately, a lot of times other foundations are tried. And throughout history, throughout the history of the church, throughout the history of mankind, we attempt to lay foundations other than Christ for whatever reason. Churches may try to lay a foundation built upon morals or what we think should be good human behavior. It's not going to work. It's going to fail. The structure will ultimately crumble. Liberalism has come along and they've tried to build foundations upon everything in the world and not Jesus. And I will assure you that those types of churches will crumble and they will fill, fall. Those buildings decay and collapse into ruins. The only way that we can be assured that structure will remain strong and have the integrity that God wants it to have is to have that foundation in Jesus Christ and only in Jesus Christ. We have the foundation and we have the instructions on the proper foundation. We run into problems when we don't abide by the instructions on the foundation and we try to lay it some other way. The building will collapse and fall. God gave us a blueprint and it is our job as builders, every one of us, we're builders on that foundation. Our job is to make sure that we're building on the proper foundation. So Paul laid that perfect foundation in Christ Jesus and And other folks are and continue to build on that foundation. Verse 12, now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. So Paul has laid the foundation and someone else, no doubt Apollos, and now others in that church were building on that foundation. As an aside, you remember how Paul is a foundation layer. That's what he does. I would say he's in the concrete business for the church. He laid foundations all the time. You remember back in Romans, whenever he wrote to the church in Rome, and he said in Romans 15, I don't come to build on another man's foundation. I preach the gospel where Christ has never been preached. I lay the foundation. Others build upon what foundation that I lay. That was Paul's ministry. That was what he did. He laid the foundation and left the rest of the construction to to everyone else to build upon it. So now we are transitioning from that foundation to the building materials. To how we are to build on that foundation. Now, once the foundation is laid, 
There's a lot you can put on that foundation, right? You can put a lot of different types of materials on that foundation. You can use expensive materials or you can use cheap materials. Quite frankly, you probably know that if you use those cheap materials, what's likely to happen? It's probably not going to last very long, is it? Probably not going to last very long if you skimp on the materials you use to lay the foundation. Paul tells us that we can build on the foundation of Jesus with gold, silver, and precious stones, or we can build on it with wood, hay, and straw, or stubble. So those are our choices. I want to make a little parenthetical here and talk about this part of the Scripture because it gets a little difficult to understand. And this is where the wrestling begins, and the wrestling won't end until I get done. So are we talking about salvation here? Is, are these people that Paul's talking about saved? Or is the building on the foundations what saves us? Well, we are not looking at salvation. These people that Paul is writing about are saved, or at least he believes that they are Christians. So we're not dealing with salvation, and that's going to become rather clear as we move forward. We're talking about rewards. And that's what Paul says. We are talking about rewards. Now, I've heard people say, well, quite frankly, I don't give a flip about rewards. Right? Fair enough. We're all going to be in heaven anyway. And heaven is a place where I desire nothing. I want nothing. I have all my needs fulfilled. I have my health. I have everything that I'm ever going to want or need. So why am I going to worry about building, whether it's with straw, hay, stubble, wood, precious stones, gold, or silver? Why should I even worry about that? Right? But yet there is this incentive-based approach that clings to our fallenness. You want the best rewards, you're going to build on that foundation with gold, silver, and precious stone. You're not going to build on that foundation with wood, hay, or stubble, or straw. You see my problem? The first problem. You see the conundrum? What incentive do we have? If we're going to have everything we want, then what incentive do we have to build with the expensive materials? Why would I want to? Well, that attitude puts us in a little bit of danger. say, well, why would that attitude put us in danger? Well, the whole notion of salvation is having a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. It's about having a relationship with your Savior. And a relationship in and of itself creates within you a desire to please the other side of that relationship. Husbands and wives have a desire to make each other happy, or should. The closest relationships when that desire is shared between both of you. A parent and a child, you want to do everything you can to show them that you love them, that they know that you love them, that you cherish the time with them. It is a a relationship that you're wanting to make them know that you appreciate them, that you love them, that you care for them. So if I have a relationship where I claim that Jesus is my treasure, and yet I'm not willing to do anything for him, 
I question that relationship. If I say, Jesus, you are my savior, you are my treasure, but oh, by the way, I'm giving you wood, hay, and stubble, and I'm going to not give you gold, silver, or precious stones, then what does that relationship really look like? Is there even really a relationship? Is he really my treasure? So I ask you to look at yourself and say, well, I'm not going to worry about this, but there is another aspect of it. If you're not worrying about giving Christ your best, then I'm not really sure you have a relationship with him to begin with. So there's a, a serious danger that we can get into when we don't worry about giving him gold, silver, or precious stones, and that he just kind of gets what's left over at the very most. But with all that said, it's clear here that Paul knows that there are Christians in this church at Corinth, and he wants them to build with the proper foundation that he has laid. Not only will it result in pleasing God, but there will be rewards, and he tells us straight up, there will be rewards in heaven in the next life. So if we build with gold, silver, and marble, and granite, we know that all that stuff's going to be tested by fire. And if it passes through that fire and it gets through, then the rewards will come. But if the fire burns up, then we've got something different, or burns up the materials or the building materials, then we've got something different altogether. Furthermore, is it proper to lay on a perfect, expensive, priceless foundation the materials that would add up to a mud hut? Would you do that? Would you spend all the money that you ever hoped to save in your life to build a foundation and go get some straw and mud and build the structure on top of that? Of course not. Nobody in their right mind would do that. But that's kind of what we do when we don't give Christ what he deserves. Instead of making much of him, which we're supposed to do, we belittle him. We are casting our pearls before swine, so to speak. So when we have that perfect foundation, it only stands to reason that the very least we do is to give him the most precious gold, silver, most precious materials that we can come up with in the works that we do for him. <clears throat> in that statement, or it is a statement, that we are saying, yeah, we don't really value as much, value you as much as perhaps what we should value. So here we have these building materials. So what, what exactly is Paul talking about? What, what is he dealing with here? And he tells us in verse 13, these materials represent work, what we do for Jesus, what we do for the cause of Christ. So as I said, fire is going to test it, and what's going to come out on the other side? Not only does working hard please God and makes much of Jesus and ensures a reward in heaven, but it helps to grow the kingdom. It helps to show others Jesus. 
It's how God's put into place a way for our children and their children and their children to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. It's how churches grow, quite frankly. So what's the difference between the gold, the silver, and the precious stone, and the wood, and the hay, and the straw or stubble, other than one burns and one doesn't? It can be a little bit difficult to discern, a little bit difficult to understand, but I think it comes down to an issue of motive, a desire or why we are doing what we do. You volunteer for a program, why? Is it an obligation or a duty or is it to please men or is it out of that relationship that I talked about earlier that he is the source of your joy, that Jesus is your treasure and you have a genuine desire to please him? When you volunteer to do whatever it is you volunteer to do and he's your treasure and you want to please him, that's gold, that's silver, that's precious stone. When you volunteer to do whatever it is you volunteer to do and you do it so everybody else will think you're holy, mm, that's wood, that's straw, that's stubble. It's not going to make it. It's going to be burned up in the fire. Why are you here this morning? If you're here because he's your treasure, you want to know him more, that's gold. If you're here because your husband or your wife dragged you here and you just don't want to listen to them anymore, mm, wood, hay, stubble. Not going to get very far. It is going to be burned. We as a church can feed the hungry. We can clothe the homeless. We can give money to the poor. We can promote harmony and love between each other. But if we aren't making much of Jesus in the process, that will be burned through fire. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. I'm going to circle back around and talk about the first point I was making about, not first point, but a point I was making a little bit ago about this whole notion of rewards and how this works. And clearly, Paul says you're going to suffer loss. How? I'm going to be in heaven. How is that going to happen? Mm. I can't tell you exactly how that's going to happen. I mean, that's part of my wrestling with this. You're going to see the rest of it in just a few minutes. But clearly the words are, we are going to suffer loss. The term carries with it. You're going to carry forward some sense of regret. There's going to be a moment in time when you look back and think, man, I wasted it. Sorrow or disappointment. Yet the pushback is on that. None of that stuff makes it to heaven. Sorrow, disappointment, a worry or concern, that that doesn't get into heaven. We know that, right? I'm not going to take a deep dive into this, but let's just turn quickly to Revelation. And those of you that know me know how much I push back on turning to Revelation. Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain. They're dead. 
they had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Clearly, these folks aren't 100% totally happy, are they? They're saved. They've passed on from this life. But they got something that's eating at them. They have a sense of sorrow, a sense of avengement within their soul that has not been appeased. I don't know where this is, but it's somewhere between here and heaven. And so my only guess at this desire that we have or sorrow that we have whenever we suffer loss is very similar to the sorrow I see to those souls that have been killed for the word of God, that are crying out to him. So it is very possible, it's as far as I'm going with it, it's very possible that before Christ comes back, there is some sort of sorrow between here and heaven where we see our failures, we see what we didn't do, we know that Christ is going to come, he's going to judge us, each and every one of us, our works are going to be out there before him. All the more reason to build up treasures in heaven and not treasures on earth. Now we'll get to where it's really difficult. Verse 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. So he continues in this building theme, and then he kind of interposes it onto us that we are God's temple, or everyone is God's temple, that building that has been built. But he shifts gears. These people destroy the temple. These people don't build on the foundation with cheap materials. They come in to destroy. So this is a different group of people in my eyes. These are people that have infiltrated the church, whether it's at Corinth. And we're going to see that in a couple, three weeks from now. When we get into chapter 5. You're going to see a young man who was sleeping with his father's wife. And they had accepted it and embraced it and welcomed it. Paul says, no, you've got to kick him out. So there were teachers that had infiltrated the church at Corinth that were seeking to destroy the church. They weren't Christians that were just not building properly. They were non-Christians that were seeking to destroy the church and in turn destroy the individuals within it. I believe that's where Paul is going with this. How do they do this? They come in and they teach on heresy. They teach you that Jesus was just a man, that he really didn't rise from the dead, that there was really no resurrection, that Mary was not a virgin. They teach you that there's no such thing as the Trinity. That, yeah, his teachings were just good teachings, right? They were good principles to live your life by, not necessarily the words of God. Those are the ones to be on guard for because there are ulterior motives, and that is to destroy this whole notion or concept of Christ being God's Son and our Savior. 
And we're going to see it, as I said, unfold greater beginning in chapter 5. We are God's building and his temples. The Holy Spirit resides within us. We should not prostitute ourselves out for the service of men. We should take heed to make sure that God's buildings, ourselves included, are protected and that no one is there to harm it or destroy it. So as I wrap this up to say, what do we take out of this or what can we take away from it? Whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, what do we do it for? The glory of God. I think that's a very simple wrap-up of this passage that we live our lives for his glory to his glory at all times regardless of what we're doing if we're building on the foundation that is Jesus Christ we build with gold silver and precious stones and sure there's going to be times when I barely even get straw in there that's just the way it is but the goal should always be gold silver and precious stones Because we want that to make it through. I don't want to be whatever intermediate state is, and I'm not proclaiming I know that there is or isn't. But I don't want to be in that state and look back and think, man, I wasted so much. So much of my life was built with wood, straw, and stubble that is burned up in the end. Let's do things to glorify God and not the world and not ourselves. Amen? Let us pray. Most gracious God, Lord, there's a lot in that passage and a lot to chew and think about and deal with. And Father, we just pray that as we continue to mature as Christians, that your spirit would enlighten us as to what you want us to know, that you would give us revelations as we look at your truths, Father. And we pray, Father, that every day of our lives, you help us to build with gold, silver, and precious stones. And that as we grow in you, the moments that we build with wood, hay, and stubble grow fewer and fewer. And that you are glorified in that process. For it is in Christ's name we pray. Amen.